Well, uh, we're continuing. This is actually the, the last week in a series we're doing um, on trusting God. And we talked about trusting God with your family. And then last week, um, your resources, but it got retitled finances. And so since two of the sermons then had titles that began with F, I kind of felt like I was pigeonholed into making this one begin with an F too. So it's uh, trusting God with your frustrations. And let me just explain that a little bit. I originally was thinking I was going to talk about um, trusting God with your life because in a sense we have to dive in and, and give ourselves completely to God that, that he is the blazing center, the sun of our universe, that God is a big deal um, and that, that that's where it's got to be, that we're not the center of the world. It's not about me. And so I was going to talk just about trusting God with your life because it's your most valuable, precious thing in, in a lot of ways, isn't it? I mean, we care a lot about ourselves, right? And uh, we don't want other people to know how much we care about ourselves. It'd be pretty funny to map it all out, like uh, the amount of time you spend in front of the mirror and different things like that. But, but so I thought, let's just trust God with our lives. And I said, you know, that's not the real issue. Uh, I think that we want to trust God with our lives, but there's things holding us back. And so I thought, you know, those are fears. We're afraid. Like, what if I trust? Um, it's, it's like when you have two options on a Friday night, and you're trusting people with your Friday night. Either I'm going to go to this, and it'll be worth it, uh, or I'll go to this, and hopefully it'll be worth it. But what if I go to one of these things, and it's an absolute dead, and I just wasted a, a weekend? Um, and so we we kind of base our decisions on our fears in some sense, I don't want to waste my time. And when we look at our whole life and all of our dreams and aspirations and everything else, it's kind of hard sometimes to think of trusting our, ourselves to God. And so we've got these fears. What if it doesn't pan out? What if it's not a, as good of a deal as if I had taken control myself? Or what if God's option isn't as good as some other option that, that could have been melded together or patched together? And so we've got these fears. And then I thought, you know what? Fears isn't even really it. It's frustrations, I think. Um, that life doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go. And it frustrates us and it confuses us and it locks us up and it shuts us down. And we all have those things. The difficult times in life, this, the circumstances that are beyond our control and we're we're left asking why, what's going on? I don't understand. How did I get here? I didn't choose this for myself. How can this happen to me? Um, what do I do now? How do I back up? Just the depression of maybe being shut down and saying, you know, what's the point in all this? I feel like it's no matter what I do, it's going to be a losing deal. And so why do I really throw energy into it? Where do I get motivation from? And so we've got these kinds of frustrations, you know, we, we, and we're thrown a lot of those by life. Some of them are, are things that come from our own actions and our own choices. A lot of it comes from just circumstances. I watched a documentary on Joseph Stalin, and it was crazy to me that for like a 40-year period of time, that many people, you know, like 30, 40, 50 million, I mean, 20 million people died because of Stalin. I mean, the guy killed 20 million people. But the number of Russians that lived there that really had no control over their life. This one man did. And, and what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, we live in a country and we've got a lot of freedoms, but in, in a lot of ways, things just aren't in our control. You didn't choose the family you were born into. You didn't choose uh, the state in which you were born. Um, my, that's not a good story to tell. Uh, 
my my oldest daughter was born in Placentia, California, and I always thought we don't we never even lived there, and so it's just she's always going to tell people she was born in Placentia, and it's just you know anyways, um, <laughs> things are out of our control. My dad's six foot three, you know, I'm not, and uh, and I'm a little frustrated by that. Uh, and so I think some of these things take on a just a, we, I've got questions. I need answers. I need direction. Um, this is irritating to me, these frustrations. It's, it's under my skin and it's driving me crazy. And then there's another kind of frustration, I think, which is a lot more like pain. I've got pain. This, these things, these, that don't, it just doesn't add up and it's creating pain in my life. And mentally, and I'm in anguish. And I think what's amazing is that in the Bible, we see so many times when the scriptures give voice to these feelings. And listen to Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. And why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? God, I'm frustrated. Send forth your light and your truth and let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. And I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. And then it turns inward. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. And so here's the real deal. You are a character in a story that you didn't write and that you didn't choose. There's a big story going on here, and you're a, you're a character in it. You're a player in it. And you're moving along on the timeline like this, and you can't step back and see the whole deal. You can't see what's ahead of you. You can't even understand what's going on with you right now. And you can't even make sense of some of what happened behind you. You're just a story. You're just a character in this story. And it's hard when in the middle of, of experiencing your reality, it doesn't add up and you're frustrated and you need answers and you don't understand, but you know that you can't exist where you're at. I just can't stay here. This isn't right. It doesn't make sense. It's, I'm going crazy or I'm depressed or I'm hurt. And at that time, it's hard to look at God and say, God, you are so good. God, I just want to go praise you. I want to go to a worship session and then go right to another one and then go to another one and just, you know, I'll just work every church in town for like the next five days and go to every, because I just want to praise you and you don't feel that. You just need resolution. And so in those moments, we look at our soul and, and we realize it's downcast and it's disturbed and that we're frustrated. And the psalmist counsels us, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. We have to somehow reach out of our frustration and trust God. And so I wanted to try and frame this a little bit. So I kind of tried to think through what so this is my weak attempt at what a recipe looks like. And I don't cook anything, so as nothing doesn't look like a recipe at all. But if, if I had to say what goes into frustration, here's what I'd say. It starts with an expectation. And this is basically the expectation. That 
these imaginations I have, these hopes, these desires, these dreams, this sense that life ought to be good is, is grounded. Life ought to be good. It ought to work out. I can picture it that way. I, I, can, I know that if I can just get everything together and get to a certain point, it'll all work for me. I can envision it. And so it ought to be like that. I'm a good person. I've got good goals. Life ought to work out for me. And so that's the expectation. And when you add to that this illusion, which is basically that um, when things are going bad for me, it's going better for everybody else, right? It's, it's better on the other side of the hill. It's better for that guy or that gal. How come I have to deal with my job? Look at the job that person has. Look at my car that keeps breaking down and that car that that person has. It goes better for everybody else than it does for us. That's kind of the illusion. So we've got this expectation that it'll all work out for us. We've got this illusion that somehow it's working out perfectly for the rest of the world. We're the only ones that are frustrated. And when you give that enough time, when you mix that together, it it leads to this assumption. Um, And then when you bake it, it leads to a frustration. But the assumption is... That's right. There we go. Um, talk real loud. No one wake you up. Uh, oh, <laughs> if you mix together, found it. All right. If you mix together the wrong expectation with a bad illusion, you mix those together, you end up with this assumption that if God isn't helping my life become what it ought to be, then either He doesn't exist or He doesn't love me. This doesn't make sense what's going on in my life. I prayed to God, and if God doesn't change it, well, gee, I'm, I'm left wondering if he really exists. And if he does exist, why has he forgotten about me? How come he doesn't love me? You bake that long enough, and you're just going to become a frustrated person. And I want to talk about each of these just real quick. Um, and we can get rid of the recipe because it looks really like cheesy clip art. Okay. Uh, the expectation is wrong. God put in us a desire for, for utopia. We were made for that. We were created for that in some sense. But he never said that that's what's going on. And I just want to show you two verses juxtaposed against each other. And this is out of Genesis 3 when Adam messes up. Adam messes up. God basically says this is the curse for people now. And it says this. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil... You will eat of it all the days of your life. I mean, we can just rewrite past that because maybe we've heard this. Painful toil. Day in and day out, you're going to struggle painfully. And the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. Now, I'm not a farmer, and many of you aren't farmers, and so we can just translate that. Thorns and thistles are difficult people. Uh, in your life that God is allowing to be there to really mess you up and have the full sense of the curse work itself out. Anyways, uh, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's a pretty bleak deal. And then we... Move back to Revelation, and here's words that just sound a lot better to our ear. 
And it says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. This is in the future. This is in the book of Revelation. This is someday. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So basically you've got a situation where it's not the way it's supposed to be. We live in a messed up world and someday it will be the way it's supposed to be and it'll be amazing and that day will be when the old order has passed away, this reality that we're living in. And so we're, we're characters in this story, but what we've got to realize is the chapter that we're in is the not yet chapter. And God never tells a lie. And so the Psalms are there to encourage us that, you know what, I'm not the only one experiencing these feelings. My life isn't the only one messed up. I'm not the only one losing sleep at night. I'm not the only one worried about money or how to raise my kids or what I'm going to do with my future or my health. That happens to a lot of people. That's a part of reality. And the Bible shares those kinds of thoughts so that we realize we're not alone. But there is a hope. There is a future. So the first problem is our expectation is wrong. God has never said it's going to be perfect. Utopia is not now. It's, it's for the future. And so we have to readjust our expectations and say, you know what? God told me it's going to be like this. He's not misleading me. God tells the truth. Second thing is, are the illusions that it's grand for everybody else or elsewhere, and, but my situation is the only place where it's raining. It's like if you see a guy in a movie and there's rain just where he's standing, you know, wherever he walks, and everything else is sunny, and, and that's an illusion. The grass isn't greener on the other side of the hill. The grass is greener where you water it. It's just plain and simple. You can run your whole life looking, chasing the mirages, or you can stop and water and nurture the people around you, the circumstances around you, and that's where the grass is going to be greenest. Um, I've got a picture of my, my middle daughter that I took on my cell phone, so it's a little fuzzy. Uh, and I've got a great story for you. Now, you've got to understand Esther. Um, she's unique. She lives in the moment. Uh, has no concept of the future. I once caught her when she was learning to walk. She ran right off stairs, a full flight of stairs, not even the kinds with the bends. And I looped an arm around her and caught her in midair. She just, she has no cause effect, right? She's just going to run right off those stairs. And she lives in the moment, no sense of delay of gratification. She cannot not do something because it's going to be better if she waits. It's just, here's the opportunity. I'm going for it. Um, she's just so fun that way. Um, it, it's, it's wild. Okay. But so here's this story. We're into this stage where we now do the thing where it's gotta be fair when you give both kids, I've got three kids and my youngest one just, um, needs therapy because the older two don't, you know, so it's basically the older two and then the younger one, but the older two are in this stage where everything has to be fair. You know, if, if one's going to get a snack, you know, it's got to be fair. So we devised this little rule, and you, you guys probably had it in your family, where one person splits it, and the other person then gets to choose. Does that make sense? So here's what happened a week ago. 
And I, I laughed literally for hours because this is, this is really funny. Mary Joy, my oldest, um, splits it in half. And Esther gets to pick, um, my middle daughter. So Esther picks the bigger piece, right? Okay, so she gets the bigger piece, and Mary Joy gets the other one. Mary Joy's a little bit pouty, and this is how it goes. Now, Mary Joy savors her, as like mango, dried mango sugar, you know, is what it was. And she savors it because she, under, she had cause factory uh, reasoning, delay of gratification. She savors this little thing, and she kind of, Esther, it's gone within like two bites. She's chomp, chomp, gone. And about 30 seconds later, um, she looks over, and there's Mary Joy with this big piece of mango still kind of just sucking on it and savoring it. And all of a sudden, she just starts to cry. Esther does. She bursts out in tears. And, and Tamara and I are like, what? What's going on? We, what, we don't get it. What's wrong? Did you, did you bite your tongue? Did you bite your lip? You know, we're getting ready to just empathize with her, you know, because, you know, it, that happens. You bite your lip. And she starts screaming, Mary Joy got a bigger piece than me. You know, Mary Joy's got the bigger, it's not fair. And, and, and I'm just thinking, how did, what just happened here? She picked the biggest piece, ate it, forgets what just happened, and then kind of wakes up, looks over and goes, oh my goodness, my sister's got this huge piece. It's not fair. And she's just screaming and crying a river. And I just, I, I mean, isn't that like us sometimes? You know, God will just deal us something. We'll take it, go to bed one night, wake up the next day, and the first thing we're doing is looking at somebody else's deal. Envy creeps up, and we start screaming, it's not fair. And we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same chapter. We've all got our seasons, you know. Life might be going okay for you now, but something might come. And so we have to realize it's an illusion that, oh, poor me, it's all about me and there's pity and there's everything else that comes with it. That's not reality. We're all in the same boat. The last thing is this assumption that if God doesn't give me the answers or doesn't show up, that somehow either doesn't exist or he doesn't love me. Let me just read a little bit out of Psalm 30. And it says this, Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. And there's a, a reality to this life that we're living, and that's this, that God sometimes hides his face from us. He sometimes hides his face from us. And it doesn't mean he doesn't exist. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. And I don't always know what it means. I just know that God tells us the truth. He doesn't sneak it in on us. He doesn't hide it. He says, this is going to be, this happens. And in those times, you have to cling to your faith. That's why it's called faith. I have a, there's a movie I love with Vince Vaughn and Joaquin Phoenix, and it's called Return to Paradise. And a bunch of guys get in trouble over like in, in Taiwan, and two of them come back and don't realize that their buddy got nailed for all of the things they were doing, and he's going to end up being put to death. And so the sister comes back and talks the two friends into going over to try and share the blame so that the one guy doesn't get killed. 
okay? Well, this overzealous reporter comes along and wants to break the story, breaks the story before the judge grants the leniency. It angers the judge, and he says, you know, you and the West don't understand our ways and you, how arrogant and how everything. And this guy, the Taiwanese judge, says, forget it. He says he's going to pay for his crimes. And so the, kind of the closing scene is, is really intense, and they come and grab Joaquin Phoenix's character, and, uh, and his name is Lewis, and they're dragging him down the jail. And Vince Vaughn's character is in a cell, and they drag him by, and it's his dirty prison. And he starts screaming to his friend, I'm here. I'm here with you. And the guy gets dragged out into the courtyard, and the whole while he's just, he's just screaming and crying. And he, you know, it's like a nightmare. And his friend is stronger than the other one. Uh, it was always that way, kind of a big brother relationship. And he climbs up and clings to these bars and looks through out in the courtyard, and he's screaming the whole time, I'm here with you, Lou. I'm here. I'm here. I can see you. I see you. You're not alone. And they put the gallows, the, the rope around uh, this guy Lou's neck, and he screams at him loud enough so that his friend finally stops with his hysteria and looks over to the window where, where Joaquin Phoenix is, and he, he says again, he screams at him, says, I'm here with you. You're not alone. Okay? And you, you, we resonate with that. What else could mean something right about the time you're going to die than having the presence of someone you love there, understanding and knowing what's going on? You're not alone. Okay? Does that resonate with you? Here's the kicker for me. Um, when Jesus went to the cross and is going to get executed, and it's horrible, and it's horrific, and he's freaking out. You know what God did? God looked away. He didn't, he didn't climb up to the window and scream out, I love you. Uh, here I am. I see you. I understand. I know what's going on. God hid his face. And so the last words of Jesus, as he's dying this incredibly horrible death, was, why, God, have you forsaken me? Why do I got to do this all alone? And so what's, what's fascinating to me is that God tells the truth. And so here's the reality now. We have a father that sometimes hides his face from us. And it's what's going to be. And we're not going to have all the answers, and we're not always going to see the realities but we have a son and a savior who sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us and be with us always. And that Holy Spirit knows what it's like to be completely and utterly alone. So at the same time, we can be praying to God and ridiculously confused and God's, God's looking away and he's not going to reveal to us everything that's going on. And in that same moment, here's this Holy Spirit that, that is with us and says, I know what it's like. I know what it's like, and I'm here with you. I see you. Look at me. You're not alone. And it's an incredible thing that happened and, and is going on with this triune God that we got, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that at one time, we're in this chapter and in this old order of things. 
And in the next second, there's someone that comes along and comforts us and allows us to keep going, gives us the strength. Here's an uh, excerpt from um, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's called The Horse and His Boy. And real quickly, the, the story is this young prince ends up in the wrong country as an orphan. And he ends up finding a horse from Narnia, and, and horses from Narnia talk. And they run away um, to try and get back to Narnia. And along the way, they're chased by a lion, and it brings them to this other little princess. This guy doesn't know he's a, a prince, by the way. He just thinks he's this poor um, little orphan boy. But they get paired up with this other um, Narnian horse that's fleeing with this princess. And they go, and there's all these crazy adventures, and they keep getting chased by lions. And then there's lions that scare uh, this boy Shasta when he's... Uh, out in the, the desert, and then they finally get to, to on the edges of Narnia, and this lion chases them, and it's oh so awful. And they warn the, the Narnian princes that there's going to be this war, this battle that they'd overheard. And what happens is they grab Shasta, they put him on a regular horse, and regular horses don't talk. Um, and they proceed in a procession, and it goes through this fog. And what happens is, is Shasta gets separated from like all the adults and all the people Um, that he was with, and and he's all by himself in the mountains, and it's misty because he doesn't know how to ride the horse because he's been riding a Narnian horse all this time that you can talk to, and now he's on this horse, and he doesn't know how to steer it. So he ends up by himself, and he's just having a whale of a time Um, and being very tired and having nothing inside him. He felt so sorry for himself that the tears finally began to roll down his cheeks. He's in the mountains, he's cold, he's hungry, he's on this horse that doesn't talk back to him, and he's all alone. And here we go. What put a stop to all of this was a sudden fright. And Shasta discovered that someone or somebody was walking beside him. It was pitch dark and he could see nothing. And the thing, capital T, or person, capital P, was going so quietly that he could hardly hear any footfalls. What he could hear was breathing. His invisible companion seemed to breathe on a very large scale. And Shasta got the impression that it was a very large creature. And he had come to notice this breathing so gradually that he had really no idea how long it had been there. And it was, oh, such a horrible shock. It darted into his mind that he had heard long ago that there were giants in these northern countries. And he bit his lip in terror. But now that he really had something to cry about, he stopped crying. The thing, capital T, unless it was a person, went on beside him so very quietly that Shasta began to hope he'd only imagined it. But just as he was becoming quite sure of it, there suddenly came a deep, rich sigh out of the darkness beside him. That couldn't be imagination. Anyway, he had felt the hot breath of that sigh on his chilly left hand. And if the horse had been any good... Or if he had known how to get any good out of the horse, he would have risked everything on a breakaway and a wild gallop. But he knew he couldn't make that horse gallop. So he went on at a walking pace, and the unseen companion walked and breathed beside him. At last he could bear it no longer. Who are you? He said, scarcely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing. Its voice was not loud, but very large and deep. Are are you a giant? asked Shasta. You might call me a giant, said the large voice, but I am not like the creatures you call giants. 
I can't see you at all, said Shasta, after staring very hard. And then, for an even more terrible idea had come into his head, he said, almost in a scream, You're not, not something dead, are you? Oh, please, please, do go away. What harm have I ever done you? Oh, I am the unluckiest person in the whole world. You know, that's that point, isn't it? Oh, I am the most unlucky person in the world. And once more he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There, it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother and how he had been brought up sternly by the fishermen. And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and of all their dangers in Tashban and about his night among the tombs and how the beasts howled at him out of the desert. And he told about the heat and thirst of the desert journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded Erebus and also how very long it was since he'd had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta? There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I've just told you there were at least two the first night, and there was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gasped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it would come to a shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Then it was you who wounded Erebus. It was I. But what for? Child, said the voice, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. And I love that passage um, because I resonate with it. And maybe you do too. Maybe there's things where at night you're crying out to God. I remember a drive I went on once all the way up into the mountains up above LA where I was at and drove around Big Bear Lake. And there was something in my life that I just couldn't let go of. And I finally had this picture and it was like God was saying to me, why are you shaking your fist at me? You know, I was, I was saying, I am the most unfortunate man in the whole world. Nothing else matters that's going on in my life because of this one thing and I'm shaking my fist at God. And I'm demanding resolution. And I'm demanding answers. And I love this passage because I've, I've been this person. I know what, what pity feels like. I know what frustration does to, to our sense of desire and happiness and joy and everything else. And I love where it goes. And I love recognizing that, you know what, sometimes we don't have the answers. And then other times, ever so quietly, um, God will come alongside us and he'll tell us the story that we don't know or the perspective that we don't have 
or the things that we don't understand. And there's always a moment of resolution where we go, oh, I get it. I get it now. That past pain, I get it. I, I, I can package it up. It's, I can understand it. I can set it aside. And we have to struggle to remember that lesson when we move into the next set of trials, the next set of painful toil in this life. That you know what? God does bring times of refreshing. He does come alongside and give us perspective sometimes. And we've got to hold on and understand that even if we see fog, um, God is good. And he tells the truth. And it's not like the whole world is, is somehow wrong and I'm at the center and it needs to all stop and fix it for me. No, this is, the, this is the chapter I'm in. And there's a Holy Spirit and those, the, the beauty of the Psalms and the scriptures and other Christians that we can go be with that can look in our eyes and say, you know what, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm here with you. I love you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be here for you. And I know it's not easy. And these frustrations that we have arise because we don't really grasp it all. And so somehow we have to go back to square one, which is it's about trust. That God is the blazing center of our universe and everything revolves around him. And it's not about me. It just isn't. And when I try and make it about Ken Weitzma and, and make everything justified or, or bring resolution to everything or have everything make sense to me. It, it just doesn't work that way. That's not reality. It's not the world we live in. And so I'll just close with, with this thought and leave you with kind of a benediction. that there will be times in your life and there are times now where you don't understand why what's happening to you is happening to you. But that's the world we live in and God knows it. It's not a surprise. You're not forgotten. You're not in the cracks. And God will comfort you. The Holy Spirit understands and knows and will be there with you. And the idea is that we would be able to sing to the Lord. This is Psalm 30 again. Sing to the Lord, you saints of His. Praise His holy name. For even though his anger, uh, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning, and there will be a morning. And even if you're at the end of your life, or you're on a downward slide, the promise of Scripture is that there is a time when this age is kind of passed away, when all of those desires and those yearnings will be fulfilled. And you'll be with God and there will be no tears and there will be no sadness and there will be no death. And we can put our hope in him and we can trust God. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Father God, no matter where we're at this morning, if we're in the depths of despair, if we feel like you've turned your face from us, if we're lost, if we're confused, if we're frustrated, I just pray you give us enough faith to be able to sing your praises. That we'd be able to see that you do tell the truth. And since we can trust you to tell the truth, we can trust you to fulfill your promises, to do what you said you're going to do. And may we just struggle to reach out to you, to sing praises to you. And may we be comforted by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.